Welcome to the King of Glory Lutheran Church Education Podcast. We are a Christian community of faith located in Williamsburg, Virginia. For more information, please visit us on the web at kogva.org. Again, welcome everybody. And as I shared with you, we will have a mixture of a Lenten service as well as a Lenten Bible study over the next few weeks. Have my apologies to you if parking was a bit difficult. We are hosting uh, today um, police officers and first responders who are in training for child safety and child development. So uh, you're very safe today. There's lots of police here, and uh, they, need you, they need our help. If we need their help, they're just down the road. So, um, but that's part of our community partnership with uh, the police department, so we're happy they could be here uh, today. What we didn't do is put Bibles on your table. So if you need a Bible, they're in the back there on that cart. Feel free to get up and get one, or Don can just raise your hand and we'll pass them out to you. Just a reminder to you that if you should speak, you need to wait till Larry gets to you and speak into the microphone for the people online. Sorry? Well, yes, I will acknowledge them first, yes. Don't all of us just start speaking, then we would have chaos, right? All right, so our text today will be Matthew 26, 47 to 56. Matthew 26, 47 to 56, and for the purposes of our folks online... I'm going to read it, but as I read it today, I do want you to be listening for what jumps out to you, what is interesting to you, what what you never heard before, what you've often heard but don't get, or anything in between there. And as Larry has reminded us, raise your hand, we'll call on you, and we want to hear your thoughts on it as well. All right? So this is the betrayal and the arrest of Jesus. While he was still speaking, Judas came one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. (coughs) Excuse me, I'm sorry. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus once and said, greetings, rabbi, and he kissed him. Jesus said to him, friend, do you... Do what you have come to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled? That it must be so. At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out? Have you come out as against the robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him 
and fled. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Great bunch of guys, aren't they? (laughs) So, Larry, you should get ready to get up. Who did you hear? What jumped out to you? What was interesting to you? Uh, Let's start with Gene and then make way to Jim. All right? Take the mic. I felt like I was... Is this on? Just closer. Okay. I felt like I was watching a presidential debate. Okay. My candidate just blew it. Okay. Tell me more. Jesus. You know, you you could have done so much more Mm -hmm. to stand out, take control. Okay. And you didn't. Yeah. So here we have a moment, right? It was the... Uh, 30 A.D. presidential debate, give or take a year or so, <laughs> and Jesus could have given that power punch, right? The there you go again, right? Think of, you think of debate uh, words, but he doesn't. So the question for everyone to think about is: is that strength? Or is that weakness? Jim. Uh, obviously, the, the, the people that came, the, the large crowd armed with swords and clubs, they, they didn't know what to expect, even though Judas had guided them and told them. And, so, you know, they were saying you might expect great uh, riots and everything else when you try to arrest him because he's really a dangerous guy. Yeah, yeah. To me, there's two interesting potential insights there, right? One is they don't know who's with Jesus, and rightly so. They're going to go, what's, uh, what was General Schwarzkopf's uh, motto? Or no, Powell, shock and awe, one of those. It was, you go in and you take them. Um, or I can't help but think... When Judas was talking to them and the chief priests were getting the soldiers together, perhaps, I'm, I'm guessing here, uh, just be careful, this guy raises the dead. The guy you're getting, uh, he's the guy who uh, walked on water. Maybe we should take some more people. You think, yeah, let's take some more people. I, I can see where that might be a little bit of the conversation too. Yes, sir. Uh, the thing that jumped out at me is in verse 50 when Jesus said, my friend, go ahead and do what you have come to do. Yeah. What's difficult for me is Jesus knew what was going to be happening. He already knew what Jesus or Judas was going to do. And um, he said, my friend. Yeah. What's that mean? Hang on to that. We're going to come back to that. I, here's what I have a question about on that, right? Did he say, my friend, do what you have to do? Or did he say, my friend, do what you have to do? Right? Or anything in between there. There's a great clip uh, on the YouTube that... Um, they're, it's a bunch of British actors, and they're trying to teach an actor how to do the famous line, to be or not to be. And someone's telling them, and then all these famous British actors one at a time come out, and they're like, no, 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 it's to be or not to be. Then another one comes down and goes, no, it's to be or not 
to be, you know? And that's, you should, it's actually very entertaining. Um, I don't do it justice, clearly. <laughs> but sometimes that's our challenge with Scripture. The answer to my own question is, you look at the totality of Jesus' life. And then you can develop a tone for him, right? And the fact that he continues on. But I am going to answer your question, so hang on to that. Yeah, John. Every year at um, Easter time, and especially as we get close to Holy Week, I just keep thinking about how, and this has something to do with the Trinity, and I don't get that, but how Jesus must have looked forward to, or I think to myself, did he look forward to dying on the cross and, and, and being resurrected? And, and I wonder if the, the tone might be something like, um, uh, uh, almost, you're helping me get to why I'm mm. or something like that. Yeah. You know, it's easy, it's, I can see why you would think that. And I would think because we know the story, we could assume that. But we know from the prayer in the garden that Jesus would have not minded not doing it. <laughs> and our theology as Christians in the Lutheran tradition, um, we really hang on to Jesus being 100% man and 100% God, that mystery of what that is, right? That paradox, if you will. And so when we, when we join Jesus, let's say from this moment on, in the garden on, uh, we would say he has fully given himself to humanity. Yeah, sure. Look at what he says. I, I love what he says to them. Uh, don't you think I could stop this? But he doesn't. So he st- stays with the human side of himself rather than the easy way out. But th- to say, did he look forward to it? I don't know. Yeah. This is in response to yes. Jean's question. Or yeah. I see it not as resignation, but as her obedience to his father. Right. He wasn't there to argue. He wasn't there to cause trouble. He had a job to do, and he was obeying his father. And we do see, uh, I think Jean would agree with you, by the way. I do think we see um, time and again the the witness of Jesus is obedience, right? The witness of Jesus is obedience, a witness that we would do well to follow. I'd also say what, what we didn't have the opportunity to have today was the buildup even to this moment, right? So we have transfiguration. We get that window into who Christ is, the divinity of God. Yet he sets that aside to come down the mountain to go on to Jerusalem. And we do, I think we do see this internal struggle that Jesus has, even at the Last Supper, then in the garden of, uh, my words, am I going to do this? And then perhaps, Joan, maybe where you are is, there does become, and Kathy, there comes a resignation here that the answer is yes. I am going to do it. Because we know, from if you were in church on Sunday, we know, get behind me, Satan. Because if I don't do it, you all die forever. John. 
um, interpretations of the, the father saying, I could st- he could say, the father could stop this if he wanted to. People get too hung up on how many soldiers are in a legion, and they don't look at history. The history of the Roman Empire is if they were having a problem, they would send two legions. If it was really bad and the other side had a pretty good army, they would send four. Mm. And they would not care how big the other army was. Our guys, special forces, whatever, we will take them out because we're better trained in their their legions. Right. Uh, The worst that I know of in their entire history, they sent nine. Unless they were fighting each other, then they would hit each other with everything they could lay their hands on. But 12 legions is is an enormous force. It's not the number of soldiers, it's the fact that it's 12 I see. legions. Yeah. Because in history, those people would never heard of somebody using 12 legions at the same time. So in essence, what Jesus is saying here then is, I, will, I could totally wipe you out. <laughs> I could totally wipe you out if I wanted to. Yeah. All right. Somebody else. Everybody's louder. John. When I hear this story, I often wonder, where would we be today if it had never happened? Yeah. Yeah. Have you, uh, well, Ash Wednesday, right? <laughs> we, we sit there with that ash and we say, what if God didn't love us? What if God didn't care for us? What if God didn't save us? Or, John, a lot of times what I hear from people is, why did God, I was going to say, why did John? Why did John choose this way? Why did God choose this way to save us? Because if he wanted to, he could have just made a pronouncement. You're saved. And yet, uh, for me, I think we see um, a consistent God who is true to the foundations which he created. Right? So from the beginning of time, at creation, we know that what he creates is good, and that when we were created, it was very good. So we know from the beginning that there is a love relationship between our God and his creation. And we also know that even in the fall, he creates a system, a sacrificial system, for atonement. And therefore then, ultimately, he's not going to go back on what he's the system he's created, that would be a God we wouldn't believe in. And yet he sticks with his system so that we may be set free. Right? Mary Joe. Mary Lou, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was in the ballpark. You, you were. Yeah, you were. Mary Lou. Um, how about Judas? I mean, what was that man thinking? Was he that greedy or... You know, it's all part of fulfilling the um, prophecy. Yeah. But honestly, why was he chosen? What what was in his personality? Mm -hmm. Well, (laughs) that's a really good question, right? I think that um, on the one hand, it is tempting to give Judas an out, isn't it? He's just... A character in a in a story that needs to be fulfilled for salvation, right? Um, I'm not so lenient on Judas um, because because of our belief of free will and those things. Now, God 
utilizing his personality? Evidently, yes. Uh, is Judas that greedy? Evidently, yes. Um, some would argue that Judas uh, was really uh, never fully under, clearly he never fully understood what Jesus' mission was. And that when he understood that, that Jesus wasn't going to overtake Rome, that the kingdom that Jesus was talking about was not a kingdom of earth, but a kingdom of heaven, uh, it really disappointed Judas. And therefore, it wasn't necessarily the greed of money, but the greed of power. And therefore, I'll put a stop to this. If this isn't the guy, then we don't need him anymore. Now, we do know that Judas comes to regret this. And you know, Judas, for me, is one of those guys, and this will go to the question before. Jesus still calls him friend. Um, Jesus still communes with him at the Last Supper, and uh, which I think is a conviction upon the church today, another day to have that conversation. Um, but I don't think, from what we know about Jesus, that he's, say, that he's saying it like I would say it. Some friend you are, do what you got to do. I don't, know that I, I don't know that I believe that he says it that way. I don't know how he says it, personally. Um, but I think, he's, I think he's giving us, Mary Lou, an insight into our humanity. You know, the, whole purpose, the whole purpose of studying this today on our first Wednesday in our Lenten series, Ash Wednesday is the first, but I mean in our Lenten series, is for us to get into the mindset of the fact that we're no better than Judas. This is ultimately where this is leading us. I'm going to spoil it for you. I'm telling you the end of the movie today. Um, that we betray Jesus and that we deny Jesus in a similar fashion. Some could argue, this should be a word, as you know that I think it, worser. I mean, that's more powerful than more worse, which or right? Worser. If we all say it enough, it'll make it clear, right? Yeah. Because we know the story. We're people of the resurrection, and yet we still betray the rabbi with a kiss. We still want our own power. We still want our own authority, even though we know what we know. Hopefully every day you've been stopping at 221. And you've been saying to yourself, "What? you think I could remember the line that I said, but I think at every service I said it differently. <laughs> what are you do, stopping God from doing in your life today? Right? That's a piece of this. God, you aren't, I'm going to get in the way, God, because you're not as powerful. I don't trust you. I don't love you. I can't, you can't possibly love me. All that's a part of that, right? And yet Lent, every day in the Christian life, but Lent particularly is a time for us to say, yeah, where am I doing this to? Karen. I think Judas is a little different animal, and it would do us well to look at the organization that he comes from because they're not typical of the other disciples. Teach us. Where is he from? I forget. <laughs> <laughs> but I've read it before. Yeah, he's a, from a zealous people. Yes, very who, much so, and he gets disenchanted. Yeah, this is where we, 
we're not excusing his behavior, but we can understand his behavior. Right, exactly. Right? And, uh, yeah, he wanted, he wanted Jesus to have a victory. No doubt about that. But it, but it wasn't in the manner of which Jesus meant. And, I, again, I would suggest to you that we're, we struggle with this too, right? For a lot of us in, in Christendom, so let's just talk about us as Christians. We know heaven is there. We know salvation is won, but that, for in our minds on a daily basis, is sort of a, that's down the road. In fact, what we even say to ourselves is, I hope it's not today. And I get that. I say it myself, right? I, there's things I want to see in this life, but I do think that when we do that, when we do that, I'll, I'll convict myself. When I do that, I chip away at the power of heaven, the glory of heaven, and the majesty of salvation. Chip away at that. Because what I'm ultimately saying, Bill Harmon, I'm not going to accuse you of it. I'll accuse me of it. What I'm ultimately ultimately saying is this life now is better than that life to come. Now, are we to live this life? Yes. Is this life a gift? Yes. And in this life, are we to live it to the fullest and be beacons of light to the world? Absolutely but not for the sake of the life to come. See the challenge of that balance? So, so now let me make that real to us. So in our daily lives, I want to wake in the morning and say, Jesus, how can, remember if you were in the Philippians class, how can salvation be worked in me today? How can the salvation you won for me be worked in me today? Sometimes we answer like Judas. It's not turning out the way I thought. It's not the way I had hoped. It's it's not doing what I thought it would do. Mm, I'm going to do something contrary to that salvation story. That's what Judas is doing. He's doing something contrary to the salvation story. All right, let's get into this. What I don't have a good handle on is how much time it will take us to do both a worship service and a Bible study, and I'm limited to the hour that we have today. This is, a, this is an encouragement for you to send me emails and say, no, Pastor, we want you to go three hours or four hours, okay? You, you don't have to send it. I know you feel that way, all right? So, let, so let's go into the text a little bit more, okay? And um, I want to read to you a little bit of the text earlier just to give you more context, all right? Matthew 26, 14 and 16. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. See, there is another illustration of a text that we often focus on the wrong thing, right? Where Where do we normally go? Silver, right? The thirty pieces of silver. I think it's interesting that he's looking for the right opportunity to betray him. Um, when, you, when you're convicted of something, right, there's the intentionality of the crime or the non-intentionality of the crime. He's looking to be intentional about the crime. Okay? So then we get to um, verse 47. Uh, Judas is... 
Judas here is described as one of the 12. So he is still part of the team. The Greek word for betray, paradidomai, not good at that, literally means to hand over. So the Greek word used here for betrayal means to hand someone over. And I thought the definition here was interesting. Betrayal is a sin of friend against friend, colleague against colleague. Betrayals are often unexpected because they're committed usually by someone you personally know. Right? That's a betrayal. Of, right what we use the word for? You betrayed my trust. You betrayed my friendship. You betrayed our marriage vows. Those kinds of things. Jesus is betrayed by one of his guys. One of his 12. He chose them. Ooh, see, powerful, right? Woke some of you up. He chose them. He befriended them. He lived with them. He taught them. He guided them. That should not be overlooked. For three years, they've been together doing all these things. And by the way, Judas saw all these things. He heard all the same lessons. This sort of makes the betrayal, in my mind, even more offensive. Katie, hold on. But wouldn't Jesus have known all along when he chose Judas that Judas was the one who was going to betray him? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. On the one hand, yes, right? He, oh, he is 100%. He's embraced his humanity, and he's, he's doing what he's doing. I, he knows in the end that he says, friend, do what you've come to do. And so, and he knew Judas was going to do it. And, you know, they knew of the betrayal ahead of time. Sure. At this point, yes. Certainly at this point. What I'm, what I'm wrestling with, I don't know if he knew when he chose Judas. I just don't know if he knew. And I guess you can make a theological argument that he did. And you can make a, probably a theological argument that he chose not to know. Right? This is deep in the bowels of theology that I'm not sure even I'm there yet. I'd have to think about it. But 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 in this moment, certainly, we we know from transfiguration that Jesus knows what he's going to do. We know from the garden that Jesus knows what he's going to do. And we know from the Last Supper that we know that he knows who's going to do it. So yes, here at this point I can say the answer is yes. Krista. Hey, Krista Steck. I got it, Larry. Thank you. Um, I think for, for me, she's a minister of the, of the gospel, by the way. So she's going to answer this question for you, Kate. <laughs> well, to be, I mean, that I, it's, I think is a fantastic question. But like you said, he sets that aside. And just the conversation that he continues to be in with his father, our father, demonstrates that for us. So to me, that would precede that, that would take over that. So yes, of course he would know, but even in the garden, like you said, your will, not my will, but yours be done. And in the end, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So talk about that betrayal and by a friend, by his own father and that whole conversation. And that's part of the reason he was so, I think, so proud of Peter when he declares him as Jesus, as the Messiah, the son of God. He said, I didn't tell you this. You got this from the Father in heaven. So that's the type of relationship we need as well, seeking that because we don't know 
to me that that would yeah let me let me jump in here for the sake of time and and just say this to you and this goes to your point before let's say for fun today that he knew the whole time what does that say about jesus that he knew the whole time that judas was the one who was going to betray him and yet he still taught judas he still loved judas he still cared for judas he still ate with judas he still communed with judas and so when he comes to the garden he says friend do what you've come to do for me and this goes with what krista was saying how can you not think of yourselves in this moment that that god is not only so faithful to the father but he's so faithful to you that he still calls you friend. Even though, again, in my mind, you betray him worse than Judas. Which leads me to a side note. I was privileged when I was in New York to go to the Brooklyn Tabernacle. They do a midweek prayer service. Anyone been to Brooklyn Tabernacle? It's a very unassuming outside. It's a city block. You go in. You're like, oh, this is the Brooklyn Tabernacle, and then you go in. Anyone been to Radio City Music Hall? Yeah, it's similar to that. You're like, this is Radio City Music Hall, and then you go in, it's like, wow, Radio City Music Hall. The place, I think it was a Tuesday night. The place was packed. And before the prayer service begins, people are just praying. They're, 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 some of them are by the altar. It's very beautiful. I'm going to describe it. You're going to say it's not beautiful, but it's very beautiful. And they sang, the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir was there the, the night we went, and they sang, I'm a friend of God, which you either love or you hate. But when the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir sang it, you got to love it, right? But, but the words are, I think, powerful. I'm a friend of God. He calls me friend. To me, that's this passage. Friend, do what you got to do. John, quick, and then we got to go. Well, not to get away from the text here, but John says uh, in the 13th chapter of his gospel that Satan entered Judas. So we yes. have to bear that amount we're talking about. It's not in this text here, but yes, in your scripture, interpret scripture. What does that mean? I have no idea. Yeah. John, we also got John 18 that helps us. There's the, the beauty of scripture is that we can look at other places. And so Satan does play a role in this. So now... With Katie in the bowels of deep theology, we have to ask ourselves, what was the condition of Judas's heart that this could occur? Right? I'm not willing to let Judas off the hook. Just like we don't let Adam and Eve off the hook. Even though Satan was there. Right? Okay, let's keep going. Because now I'm pretty certain we're going to be close. All right, so um, then 44 to 46. Oh. Uh, I did want to tell you that earlier what we see is this whole event occurs in Gethsemane where Jesus had taken Peter, James, and John after the Last Supper. He asked them to watch and pray. They fell asleep. <laughs> Such quality guys. After praying for the third time, Jesus was addressing these drowsy disciples when Judas came in hand. Note, I thought this was interesting. Note that it was in the garden, in a garden, where Adam betrayed, betrayed God. Now we see it again, right? 
So now we have this 48 to 49 here. After Jesus's, uh, Judas's, some would say hypocritical greeting, he kissed the Lord on the cheek. By the way, kissing was a very special act of respect and affection, but not uncommon in that culture in the first century. And by the way, if you've been to the Middle East, it's not uncommon today. Yeah, right? They're kissing all the time. Uh, and it was also a gesture of honor and respect. Uh, I was privileged to be a part of a wedding. Uh, I, was, I was here, but one of my first confirmands was married in New York, and he married a woman whose father is a Greek Orthodox priest. So clearly I wasn't doing the wedding, but in their tradition, at the end of the wedding, each family chooses a family member to give a blessing. And they chose me. Wasn't that cool? So I hadn't met the dad, the priest, before. He was probably 6'4", deep and wide, right? Tall and wide. And uh, so I go, but he knew I was coming. So he says, uh, Reverend Harmon is here, and he's going to represent the family from the groom's side. Reverend Harmon's looking for me. And I walk up, <laughs> and he takes my shoulders, and he goes, mm, mm. And he hugs me. Oh, and he holds me. He goes, I'm so glad you're here. I was like, oh, thank you. Thank you. I now learned that he was being given me honor and respect. But it felt like manhandling at the moment, just so you know. It was also common for a pupil to greet his teacher in this way. So it's interesting that Judah says, Rabbi, right? Teacher. Okay? And uh, I also thought it was interesting. If you've been in Bible study with me enough, you know I'm always looking for these different things. I also think it's interesting, as wonderful as Jesus is, as much as we love Jesus, the guards have no idea who he is. Think about that. Hey, listen, when we get there, you're going to kiss the guy, right? Because these are all, all these guys are the same. Right? So, and look, it's nighttime. The streetlights aren't working. Um, Nero's not burning Christians yet, so we can't see. And there's lots of reasons they may not recognize Jesus. But for us today, as the Christian majority, we say, how could they have not known who Jesus was? They didn't know. I find that very interesting. Just a second. All right. So, verse 50. Uh, ba, ba, ba. Let's read it so it just gets you back in. Jesus said to him, friend, do what you've come to do. He doesn't call Judas names. He doesn't speak hateful words to G- Judas. Judas is still an object of his affection. Think about this. Even Judas' behavior cannot stop Jesus from doing what Jesus has come to do. On some level, have you thought about this? Was Peter standing in the way of Jesus going just as bad as Judas betraying Jesus? That would be an interesting study. We find comfort in knowing that God is merciful and forgiving even though we act the same. We've said that quite a bit uh, as we went along here. So then also, um, notice that Jesus is not caught by surprise, to Katie's point earlier. Um, There's chaos going around him, but there is sort of this thread of Jesus being in control, right? Do what you've come to do, all these things. 
from John 10. Remember, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. So here we hear Jesus knows what he's going to do, and he knows that he can stop it if he wants to, or go on if he wants to, but he's obedient. By the way, you are in the same position every day. You have been given the life of Christ through his resurrection. You can deny yourself and follow him or not. You have that same power too. I suggest you follow him. Joan. Um, was the Holy Spirit with Jesus at that time? Uh, you guys today are on fire. Claire, answer that, will you? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, the answer is yes. So, so does, I mean, if Jesus, this is so hard because it's the Trinity. If Jesus can call upon the Holy Spirit to give him strength while he's in his humanity, can't we do that? that well, that's a yes, for sure. More than that. The, we, we, if you were in Philippians, everybody, remember, you would remember, when, let me say it this way, because I don't want you to feel bad if you were in Philippians. When you study Philippians, when you study Ephesians, what you are reminded by Paul is the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the power that's in you. Right? Wow. And yet, I'm going to lay it out there for you. How many of you started your day today saying, you know what? Same power that raised Christ from the dead is the power in me. Or did you say, where is the power of caffeine? <laughs> I drink decaffeinated coffee, and I need it in the morning. <laughs> How sad is that? <laughs> I'm tricking myself every day, right? So, I, so yeah, the answer is yes. And that, to me, makes the obedience of Christ. If Christ is fully God, then all the attributes of God are his. And yet, out of love for you, this is your king, that he continues the journey to save your life. Kathy, you're the last person, then we've got to go. Okay. Right. This is just an aside. All right. I may have the only translation in the world that says this. You have the message, I'm sure. <laughs> I have Beck's translation. Oh, okay. okay. Um, Jesus says, friend, what are you here for? Yes. Uh, and does anyone have another translation? What are you here to do? Some, I wrote a couple others here. Um, get with it. That was my translation. Uh, <laughs> do what you've come to do. Right? That was another one. We said that. Anyone else? Come and do what you've come for. Yeah. I, Kathy, I, I think personally your translation is wrong because he does know. Right now, how do you ask the question? Right, you, he, we often ask questions that we know the answer to. Do we not? <laughs> uh, especially to three sons. Right. So you tell me why you did that, even though I know why. Right. Or usually it's tell me why you didn't do that because I know why. <laughs> right. So it could be. All right. So we know there's a little fight in the garden. 
We know it's Peter. Luke tells us it's Peter. Stretches out his arm. Either he has really great aim to get an ear or (laughs) really poor aim to get an ear. But either way, he gets an ear. And once again, I should have used this on Sunday. Here's Peter trying to stop Jesus from doing what Jesus has come to do, right? You cut, to me, the irony of this moment is that by Jesus going over, he has just revealed to everybody what power he has, right? It's, to me, it's actually beautiful, right? I'm setting this aside, but let me heal you first, <laughs> right? Instead of just letting him bleed, you know, just use one ear. So we, what, do you, what do you see? The compassion of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus. I think you see here the power of Jesus. Wait for the mic. In John, yes, Jesus please. tells the disciples to bring swords, two swords, to the garden. In John 18. I don't know if it's John 18, but they're talking about the knapsack. And they said to bring two swords. Hmm. Claire, but you have to wait till Larry gets to you. I don't know about John. That may be. I, I had looked earlier at Luke 22 because this has always bothered me. And Luke 22, it almost sounds like Jesus is being ironic. Because he, he first starts with, when you went out with nothing, when I sent you with nothing, when I sent you with nothing, a purse or a bag or a whatever, what, did you have any needs? And they go, no. And then he goes, okay, so if you have a purse, bring it. If you need to sell your cloak for a sword, do that. And they say, Lord, we've got two swords. And he says, yeah, that's enough. So I, I think there's irony in that. Yeah, because that's really bothered me. Yeah. That's it why I was be, digging in. It certainly could be. And I, and I guess we would say this. John, we have to move on. I'm sorry. I know, that, I know you have something really good, but I've got to go on because I only have nine minutes. But what we know from Scripture, Scripture interprets Scripture, Paul tells us if you want, if you want an arsenal, uh, if you want an arsenal, by the way, you'll see this in uh, Ephesians 6 and Hebrews 4, then you put on the armor of God. If you want a sword, the sword you use is, who knows what it is? Scripture. Not just a sword, a double-edged sword. You know, so... Uh, so I'll look more into that for next next time. But what I want to get to here is uh, the very end. So all this happens, and what do they do? Yeah, the scene ends with the disciples fleeing, just as Jesus said they would. Um, yet, there's still some tender language in the flight. Um, they're called... In some cases, they're called, well, you remember, they're called sheep without a flock, right? Their struck shepherd will rise again. They just don't know it quite yet. Uh, Jesus didn't need their physical force help. Jesus will not ask for help from heaven. Thank you for that insight on the 12 legions. I think that's really powerful and beautiful. Uh, what I also find interesting is Jesus' question to them, look, I've been around where you've been. And, and here's an interesting note from a different commentary I wrote, read for you. They have failed to silence him in public debate, so instead they have resorted 
to coercion, avoiding a public arrest because of fear of a crowd reaction. So they treat him like a bandit or a thief. And interesting, the word that this commentator used was, or even a terrorist. And think about terrorism in the first century. There was anything contrary to Rome. Um, But Jesus does this so that all may be fulfilled. Um, What what I think is we need to highlight here is um, sometimes the elders and the chief priests are wrong. And the people are right. Part of the reason they have some soldiers there is they're not quite sure how the crowd's going to react because they love Jesus. And for me, I think this is just a nice moment for the institution to sometimes remember that we have to listen to the whole church, God's people, right? I think we try to do that here. I think in Christendom we could do it maybe a little bit more. When Jesus said he's doing this, it all might be fulfilled. Is it this arrest being fulfilled? Because there is some Isaiah passage here, 53. Or is it that this whole, this whole event is for the fulfillment? Whatever the case, we know that this is part of the story through which Jesus will bring salvation. Jesus is the king betrayed. The tender kiss of betrayal was followed up by the violent seizure of arrest. What a bitter and humiliating scene it was for him. Yet Jesus is the king who was betrayed willingly. It was his desire to go to the cross to save a world of betrayers. What a bittersweet yet triumphant scene that would be that would be for us. Our king crucified that we might be a people called friends by God. Thank you for listening to the King of Glory Church Education Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God and his people, grow in faith and love, and live through service and sharing. Visit us on the web at kogva.org.